All right, everybody, welcome to the Todd Coconado podcast. And today we are going to be answering a bunch of your questions. Uh, a couple days ago, I put up a post and I asked if you had some questions and many of you chimed in. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to discuss uh, those questions that you had on our post on Facebook. And I think this is going to be good because you asked some really good questions. So uh, thank you for tuning into this and let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time where we come together and I pray that we would uh, just have your heart, that we'd be open to receive and that the questions that I give would be from your word and true and uh, they'd bear witness in the spirit of each and every listener to this broadcast. So we just thank you ahead of time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So the first question on the post, uh, and there's there's a, a few of them, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of try to get through as many of them as we can. We might have to do a second episode. Uh, but the first question was from Audrey, and she says, "Where do you think we are on the timeline of Christ's return?" Excellent, excellent question. Uh, I will tell you this: the Bible says no one knows the day nor the hour, and we've been in the third day. A day is as a thousand years into the Lord, so we're in the third day, and it could be at any moment. Uh, obviously the Lord says to us, uh, you know, uh, he, you know, he comes like, like a thief in the night, you know, uh, and to look up and to be prepared. And I honestly feel the hour is late. Uh, I don't think that we're in the tribulation time as of right yet, but I think we are seeing things building up to the tribulation. I think we're in the birth pains and, um, as we advance, we see things are escalating and I, I say there's a rise in the spirit of Antichrist. What do I mean by that? Well, I think that, um, you know, there's more persecution against Christianity. A lot of what we refer to as the deep state or the cabal or the shadow government or whatever name we want to call this nefarious uh, actor behind the scenes, um, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, we know that there are puppeteers that are pulling the strings of people like Joe Biden and many others, Barack Obama, even though these people have given themselves over to sin and wickedness in their support for outright sin, the promotion of sin. I mean, all we have to do is look at how they've usurped what the Bible has, uh, you know, proclaimed biblical marriage between a man and a woman. Um, you know, there's, there's this horrible push on our children to indoctrinate them with all these wicked uh, curriculums and, you know, just totally anti-God. Uh, a lot of our colleges are churning out uh, communists, for lack of a better word, um, very, very sad and egregious, and many parents understand what I'm talking about. So, you know, these are just a few examples of many. I mean, you look at the programming on any streaming platform like Netflix, and you'll see uh, shows like Lucifer. I mean, they're so in our face. Think about Sam Smith at the Grammys this year. So in our face at this point. And I can just go on and on and on. So I think these things, and then, of course, there's wars and rumors of wars. And the Bible says, but the end is not yet. And I do believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this uh, during the initial stages of the Ukraine conflict out in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine. Of course, the uh, NATO forces are now supplying a, a large amount of weaponry and ammunition. So I think we're seeing the wars and rumors of wars. And that's not, you know, just one. I mean, there's so many different things, whether it's China flexing their muscles in the South Pacific, you know, in the, in the Asian Pacific region. Uh, and, and even beyond, I mean, China is really advancing and it's to me extremely egregious how the gatekeepers here in America, those in government in Washington are basically allowing this to happen. Well, there's so many different 
solutions to the geopolitical challenges that we're seeing as Americans that, that we could be energy independent, we could be drilling, we could be drilling rare earth minerals, we can be, um, you know, uh, answering the semiconductor challenge uh, where it doesn't need to have just Taiwan and other places in Asia that are making semiconductors. We could make those right here. You know, we could position ourselves to be much more set up for success. We can, we know there's like 700 and something U.S. bases around the world. I mean, just to keep those going, think about the billions, if not trillions of dollars that we have to use every year and just exhausting our supply being spread so thin all around the world. We could bring a lot of those forces home and fix our infrastructure here. What about all the money that we send out to all these other countries? The trade deficit. I mean, there's so many areas that need uh, a mind that is going to, do what's best for America and not be controlled by the World Economic Forum and all these nebulous um, non-governmental, you know, officials and, you know, the NGOs and, you know, the organizations out there. So uh, to answer your question, Audrey, and I, by the way, I just so appreciate Audrey, um, you know, to answer your question, uh, I think the hour is late. I think it's, it's high time the church realizes just how late the hour is. There should be an urgency in the heart of every Christian right now, uh, seeing these things and, and the advancement of them and how things are happening more and more rapidly. And we're seeing just, uh, I mean, morality has just gone off the cliff. And I believe this is the, the, the church's time to stand up, to rise up, to occupy, to know our authority in Jesus Christ and to realize that we have to operate as, as a church without spot nor wrinkle. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're certainly not advocating for or agreeing to areas of sin, uh, which many of the church in America, unfortunately, large mega churches and many even smaller churches are caving and capitulating in key areas of basic Christian doctrine. That can't happen. Uh, the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ has to hold fast to the entirety of the word of God. And we have to operate as the empowered church, the church of Philadelphia. And I talk about a lot of this often, but to answer the question, I think that, you know, it, it's a short season. Now, I, look, a lot of people are pre-trib and they believe that, you know, uh, we're going to be wrapped shot here. We don't have to worry about these things any moment now. That could happen. That there's a very real possibility, according to the scripture, that could be the case. I happen to also think sometimes, though, you know, there's a, there's a real possibility we could be here at least for part of the tribulation or the entirety of the tribulation. And so I just think, look, prepare for the worst, but plan for the best. You know, uh, the thing is, though, you know, hope for the best is, is really what it would be. Prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. And so I'd love to be raptured out of here. If that's the case, I would say it could be fairly soon. Uh, I mean, you know, I can't put a time on it because I don't know the day nor the hour, but just looking at the prophetic timeline and things that are happening. I mean, the red heifers that are now in Israel, uh, there's an organization that's getting ready to prepare for the new temple to be built. Uh, they're, they're very in their advanced stages. Even people in the Israeli government are talking about this. I mean, key prophetic, um, you know, instances that are in the word are now happening. And so I think all those things should make every believer realize this is definitely not a time to be messing around. We must be sober minded. And I believe that, you know, we could see some major changes with even, you know, within the next few years, as far as the financial system, the beast system being introduced uh, through the digital currencies that they're now working on. I think, uh, you know, the infrastructure for the mark of the beast is being put in place. Uh, you know, there's a supercomputer that's literally called the beast. I mean, you know, I could just go on and on CERN where they're, they're attempting to find the God particle and, 
look into, you know, opening portals into other dimensions. And I mean, there's just so much. So, yes, I think the hour's late. I think there needs to be an urgency in the body of Christ. We need to take the Bible seriously. We need to be living it out. And we need to be the empowered church. And we need to occupy. And if the Lord, uh, you know, tarries, then praise God. But if he doesn't, um, then at least we're prepared in our mind and in our spirit uh, to, to be able to have the fortitude, the stick to and the tenacity to deal with what's coming. You know, so great question, Audrey. All right, let's, uh, let's go to question number two here. Uh, question number two is, question number two, um, is there evidence the Jewish temple is being rebuilt? Great question, Reina. And she says, much can happen until that does. Much can happen until that does. So yes, um, that I kind of answered a little bit of that in question number one in my response to Audrey, and I think that um, there is evidence. There is actually a, a group of people in Israel that are getting all of the, uh, they've been doing this for quite some time, but they have all the elements for the temple. And uh, I can tell you that absolutely there is a discussion within uh, government in Israel to rebuild the temple. Um, we have credible evidence to to suggest that um, we know people there and um, there is definitely talk and I believe that we're going to see this advancing in the next year or two uh, as this all really starts to escalate I think uh, by 2024 2025 uh, these types of conversations are going to be happening now I will have to interject this there's been instability again in Israel and uh, we're seeing the Israel's enemies uh, I just saw an article recently about uh, Aragon, who's the uh, leader of Turkey, who's actually supposed to be a NATO member, but uh, he made some remarks, I guess, in his government that they would like the, all the Muslim countries to unite against Israel. Well, there, right there, is a that's a prophetic uh, headline. Um, the fact that you know the Bible says that that's what will happen, and now we're seeing um, you know leaders of of large comp- uh, countries with big militaries. Uh, saying, yeah, we need to unite against Israel. And that that is uh, basically, if that happens, is the Battle of Armageddon. But, you know, I don't think it's happening yet. But I think the talk about it is, is you know, we're, we're seeing countries like Saudi Arabia and Iran, who have historically had challenges and been, for lack of a better word, enemies, uh, are now coming to the table and they're normalizing relations. So this is what needed to happen for the Muslim nations to unite against Israel. And so I believe that as that uh, advances and escalates, um, I think we will also see talk about the temple being rebuilt. Now, remember, there's supposed to be a period of peace uh, before all these things happen. So, um, you know, according to the prophetic timeline, so I, I think that there's wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet when it comes to the nations attacking Israel. I think we might see uh, smaller conflicts. Um, there's definitely talk about Israel bombing Iran because they're very concerned about their ability to have nuclear weapons. And uh, this has now gotten to uh, a point where it's a critical mass. I mean, the, you know, they're, they're now saying, look, we have uh, what it takes in 10 days or so we could build a, a weapon and, and we're going to hit Israel with everything we have. So we'll have to watch this. But to answer your question, yes, there is evidence. The Jewish temple planning is in, in motion and I foresee that probably we're going to see that advance sub- substantially uh, before 25. So, yeah, good, good question. Um, Athenia, you said uh, this. You said, I would love to hear uh, your condensed version of the book Revelation. I mean, bullet points of the timeline of events. It's very detailed. And most sermons or studies on it go into a lot of detail. And I tend to get lost in too much detail. Maybe you can do a condensed version 
of the main events. God bless. Okay, let's let's dive into that real quick. So, uh, a condensed timeline of the book of Revelation. So, here's what I'm going to say about this. Uh, anyone who pays careful attention to Scripture has a bittersweet relationship with current events. Uh, it seems that every day, each you know, each and every day, there's news of turmoil, there's news of wars, diseases, economic collapses, heartache around the world. We see so many uh, tragedies that happen. I mean, I was watching the news yesterday as I was uh, out and about, and uh, you know, some people were watching. It was in a store, and they had the news on. And I mean, you just listen to the headlines. It's so dire. There's so much happening, and even so, these things, you know, these disasters indicate that. I believe Jesus' second coming is drawing near. And so like Jesus' disciples, if you think about the scripture, Matthew 24, 3, you know, we wonder what's in store for the world. You know, what's going to happen? The Bible lays out, you know, a very, you know, detailed picture, but it's hard sometimes for us to interpret it. And at least uh, one-fifth of his word is prophecy. Did you know that? One-fifth. So the second coming is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament, 260 chapters. And obviously, this is not a doctrine to ignore because God desires us to know about Christ's return. And with the book of Revelation as a guide, it's, it's possible to attempt at least to construct a timeline of the last days and view each day through the lens of prophecy, which is important. So, you know, there's the rapture to take his church to be with him. Now, some don't believe in the rapture. Some believe we're going to be here for the tribulation period. And I sometimes lean that direction. You know, it's when I was in Bible school, they said you got to develop a, your own theology on this because there's a lot of uh, discussion and debate within the church. And boy, is that true. I mean, some people believe uh, the Lord's about to return any minute. Uh, other people believe we're going to be halfway through the tribulation, then be raptured out. Uh, other people believe we're going to live through the entirety of the tribulation. So it's a hotly debate, debated subject matter, uh, but I believe his, his coming is imminent, like I said a few minutes ago. And all the prophecies which must be fulfilled before his return, some theologians actually say, look, they're pretty much completed. Uh, you know, he will descend with a shouted command, the voice of an angel and the trumpet of God will sound. And all believers living and dead will suddenly meet the Lord there. Uh, like an eager bride, the church waits for the final culmination of her union to her groom. So the tribulation, uh, you know, that moment after the rapture, this is if you're a preacher of person, the spirit of God will remove any restraining influence on the earth so that things will be far, far worse than they are today. And then there's the seven-year tribulation period. We'll see the climax of worsening conditions. Now, remember, there's a possibility that believers could be here. Uh, the anger of God against the wicked and the signs of Christ coming in judgment. Believers are alive at the rapture. will miss these horrible seven years if you're a pre-trib person, okay? If not, then you'll have to live through it. So that's why I say we've got to prepare for the worst but hope for the best because no one knows the day nor the hour. Um, the second coming to judge the world, the Antichrist will rule very wickedly, uh, but, you know, just when it seems like there's no hope, when the, when the bottom is finally reached and evil rules, the second coming will finally come about and God's son will dethrone the beast. Hallelujah. And then there's a millennial rule, uh, the millennial rule of the world. And the word millennium, uh, it means, you know, 1,000 years. So during those 10 centuries of righteousness, Christ will rule on the earth from his capital in Jerusalem. And to add excitement, John tells us that the followers of Christ will rule and reign with him. That's pretty cool. Uh, There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. 
And although the physical properties of the new heaven and the new earth are not described in detail, what we are told is enough to fill us with a lot of hope and a lot of joy. So what do we do until then? Well, we, we got to walk submissively. Uh, we got to we walk circumspect. We got we to gotta follow the word of God. Um, you know, the Bible says that he comes back for a church without spot and a wrinkle. It says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, it says if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out. So our duty as a believer is to do our very best. Of course, no one's without sin, but to do our very best to stand uh, in accordance to the word of God because he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Um, John takes great pains to emphasize that we are responsible to keep the sayings of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22, 18 through 19, he pronounces God's blessing on all who read the book and his curse on all those who will try to tamper with it. In other words, don't mess with the word of God. Uh, One of the most important themes in the book uh, is obedience. And I just posted about this because I think it's very important. God rewards obedience. And it's because of the disobedience of mankind that God will judge the world. And his holy saints are charged repeatedly to distance themselves. That's why I say come out from among them from the world's rebellion by keeping the words of the book. And we are to walk submissively and according to God's word. Uh, We want to worship triumphantly. Pastor Jack used to talk about this a lot. Uh, What does it mean to worship triumphantly? It means that we grab hold of the truth of God's word and we give it back in worship to God. You know, we praise his name triumphantly. you know, with exuberance and conviction, you know, authenticity, realness. Revelation makes it clear that praise and worship are vital vehicles in our response to all that God is and all that God does. And we want to witness urgently too. Uh, the Great Commission, I talk about this, make the main thing the main thing again, right? Evangelism will one day cease, but not yet. Uh, one major purpose of Revelation is to remind us that sinners uh, are going to face an eternal judgment that's coming and to stimulate believers to share the good news of the redemption of Christ, uh, you know, it's our duty to preach the gospel so people may hear and believe the good news about Jesus and receive a new nature and a new character. And I think this is so important. And we've got to be fervent, believers. We've got to be fervent. This, this remnant warrior community, many of you are very fervent, and I appreciate that. Uh, we have only a little time to work for the advancements of the gospel, and we must use the time well. We must work and work hard. Uh, Faith without works is dead. Time is going by extremely quickly. Uh, We should remind ourselves that we must all appear before judgment seat uh, one day. We're all going to stand before the throne and then each and every one of us may receive uh, the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And that's uh, actually found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We got to watch expectantly. Uh, We don't know when the Lord is coming back on this earth, like I said. Uh, but we do know his arrival is closer to today than it was yesterday. And he could come back in any time and, and take, take his church. And there will be no time to prepare. That's why we must always be ready. The requirement for salvation is we take freely what God offers us. He offers us life. He offers us joy. He offers us abundance. He offers us his son and what he did on the cross. And so my question would be, you know, if he came today, are you ready? I think that's that's very important. So uh, hopefully that helps a little bit, Athena, you know, and just kind of getting the overall message of the book of Revelation. Obviously, I can go deeper on that, and I will at some point soon. Um, let's see. Audrey, you, you asked, uh, how do we impart the urgency of the hour to unbelievers or to lukewarm believers? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it, a lot of it is what we do, our actions. You know, uh, people can preach to people and, 
Of course, the word of God does not return back void, and it brings conviction if done right in, in delivery and with love. Uh, but ultimately, though, people are watching us. And this is why I always say online, you know, the way Christians are interacting online, I think it turns off a lot of people. I think a lot of people are discouraged, and they see Christians online, and they're just like, forget that. I don't want that. So we got to make sure to exude the love of Christ, uh, to walk in a manner that's that's showing the fruit of the Spirit because we're known by our fruit. And I think that, you know, we also need to pray specifically. As we pray specifically, something happens. Um, you know, something is, is set into motion in the supernatural. And I think that as we do that, we pray fervently for somebody, we're actually beginning a process. It's a transaction. We're beginning a process for that person's soul. And so the devil doesn't want us to pray for people. He doesn't want us to uh, intercede for family members and stand in proxy for them. But I believe it's something God does want us to do. And uh, I do believe that God works on people's hearts. I've seen it in my own family uh, with my father, who is very macho Italian, really hard-headed, thick-headed man. The Lord has humbled him in many ways over the years. Um, things that took years and a lot of prayer. I know my mom was praying for a long time, but things have changed. You know, my mom prayed for me many, many years ago, and I was a prodigal. I returned to the Lord, and, you know, I gave my heart to him. I had an encounter with him in my early 20s, and that changed everything, you know. So I think don't don't negate or minimize the importance of prayer and intercession for somebody, but I think a big part of it is them watching us and making sure we're real and we're actually being the person that we're, we're declaring that we're, we're supposed to be. So, you know, sometimes that takes a lot of discipline because we want to get angry. We want to respond to their anger, their bitter words and things like that. But we got to remember, we have to be beyond reproach and we have to be uh, above the line in our response, even when these people are somewhat disrespectful or nasty to us sometimes in their flesh, because uh, ultimately we're, it's a spiritual battle for their soul. And I always say, don't make sure that you're not staying in an abusive situation, uh, especially a physically abusive situation. You know, you got to separate yourself from that. But, but you know, it, I think there's there's a season. Sometimes it's an elongated season. Sometimes it's a lot more than that we want to walk through. Uh, it could be 10 years. I mean, more. Uh, but, you know, as we pray and we're diligent, we fast and we believe and we declare and we decree and in our actions, we show Christ's love. I think that uh, eventually, uh, just like in Pharaoh, where he released the children of Israel, that the Lord... Uh, allows the person's heart to be softened and, and there's a breakthrough. So keep pressing ahead, uh, but don't take on the burdens that are the Lord's burdens. You got to lay some of these things down at the foot of the cross. Otherwise, they'll be very heavy for you. And so you are able to uh, represent your household in consecration um, according to biblical doctrine. I mean, you know, one in the house that's that's sanctified and living for the Lord can cover uh, the multitudes, you know, and cover the some of the sins in the home from another person. So I think those are important. Hopefully I answered that okay. But keep pressing ahead and great question. And I know many people are dealing with this. Don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep standing and keep believing. God is going to do something in this situation. Uh, Carrie, you said things are going digital. Ways to navigate that. I know people are buying silver, et cetera. But how's that going to work in getting things like groceries and, and fuel and paying mortgage? You know, are these, are we going to need to go digital? Well, I, I think in many aspects, we're already digital. Look at credit cards and, you know, PayPal and Venmo and, you know, the cash app and uh, all these different ways that online that we transact in many ways, we're already going that direction for a long time. Uh, I know places right now, places of, of business that don't even accept cash. Have you seen this? Uh, you said, I know it's in the direction of the mark, but not the mark it's itself. That's true. 
Um, so what does it mean when it flips over? So far, I haven't heard much on how we should treat it, our everyday lives and paying mortgages, buying groceries, et cetera, uh, are affected. Uh, well, I would say, I mean, for the most part, mortgage payments, I don't think you're sending cash to them. So, uh, you know, a lot of these things are already happening. I mean, when you pay your credit cards, you're probably paying them through a transaction in the bank. So we are in many aspects already digital, but this is going to take it to the next level. Uh, you said jobs will be in that too, as paychecks will also roll into it. Yes. And again, I think that's already happening. If you have paychecks or, uh, you know, some of the payment systems that you receive your paychecks from for work, they're already digital. I mean, I, I can't think of the last time that somebody paid me for work that I've done in cash. It's very, very rare. Um, would you love, would love your perspective on what we should do as a Christian, knowing it's not good, but also knowing it's not the mark itself, uh, just proceed wisely. Well, that's a, it's a great comment, Carrie, and I, I appreciate what you said. I think that it's already happening on a lot of levels, but we can definitely push back and diversify. Uh, you mentioned gold and silver. Uh, we have Kurt Elliott on the program and you can go to, uh, my website and actually purchase from Kurt Elliott. He's a very reputable Christian man. Um, but you know, here's what I would say is that, uh, we've got to speak to our legislators and our representatives and tell them we don't want this central bank digital currency. Now, right now we're full steam ahead to go into this and I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, uh, but they're, they're creating in the United States, the fed now app. I'm sure they have something similar in Canada and you know, all the Western countries and they have it in China. Um, you know, the, they have the, we, I think it's, we pay or WeChat, something like that. They have an app uh, if you're in China that you use and that's, also used, uh, they have a you know social credit score there. So we're seeing the same thing being rolled out all around the world. And we know most countries, almost all of them are now putting together some type of digital currency and there's going to be changes in the economy in the next couple of years. Uh, it could be even sooner. We, we also could see the dollar lose the global reserve. So we're in very uh, critical times in this particular area and how we navigate it, we've got to just pray and ask the Lord. I know there's certain things that God says don't do. Um, you know, like for instance, like TikTok, I, I post on TikTok, but God has told me not to put it on my phone, uh, because I think China can read our emails and all these different things according to the, the rules on there. So, uh, that's not something I want. And I know that, you know, they're probably already doing that. The spy agencies and in, in, even in the States, I mean, who knows how much they're intruding in our everyday lives. I'm sure they're doing it quite frequently. I mean, look at when you're on Facebook and you, you're, you're speaking to your spouse and you're saying, I, can, I need a new pair of shoes. And all of a sudden an ad pops up. Well, that's because they have a microphone that's listening to you. And so that's pretty scary if you think about that, right? So certain keywords are picked up by these supercomputers. And, uh, you know, now they have the quantum computers, which are just so advanced compared to regular computers, which are already advanced. Um, so we're going in uncharted waters and I think we need to be wise, but here's the thing. You will know when it's the mark because God is not going to surprise us and, you know, make it where we don't know. You will know this is the mark of the beast and the Bible's pretty specific about it. I think we're seeing the infrastructure for that being put together today. And I think we could pray and pull down the strongholds and occupy and stand as the body of Christ and inform people and push back and, you know, speak to our representatives. And I think the state of Texas and a few other places are talking about issuing a gold back currency. That's a way to push back. Uh, we could even push back for our uh, you know, our president and our nation at some point, hopefully if we win an election here, uh, to, you know, back the gold, uh, the U S dollar with gold. I mean, that would solve a lot of the problems. If we, if we repatriated uh, the dollar to gold, um, that there's, there are solutions we could drill and become energy independent, which would then 
uh, close the trade gap in America. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of key things that we could do. We could open the factories, bring back jobs in manufacturing, like President Trump was trying to do. Um, there there is a path to uh, usurping this this globalist cabal plan, this central banker dominated plan. The problem is right now we're still full steam ahead, and there's not enough people pushing back. So the more and more people that wake up, push back, get vocal about this, expose their plans, we can thwart them or at least temporarily you know, pause them like we've done in other instances. Um, I think about during the pandemic, you know, um, a lot of people got together grassroots effort in the airlines and they basically um, joined forces and, and said, look, we're not going to work. No one's going to work and, and you can't push this mandate on us. And a lot of the um, airlines backed out, backed down because they didn't want to lose their entire uh, employee pool. So um, lots of things that we can do. We just, we have to do them. We have to be a people of action and uh, so that's very important. So listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to continue to answer questions. Thank you for tuning in uh, to the broadcast. We'll be right back. Hello, Remnant family. We have a big and exciting announcement to share. On May 5th, 2023, we will be opening the new Remnant Revival Center located in the town of Gallatin, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes north of downtown Nashville. This is a place where people from all over the nation and world can come to receive deliverance, to worship, to pray, to learn, to fellowship, to be equipped, and to be inspired to go deeper in their faith in Jesus. Christ. I believe that God has called this remnant group to this city to bring revival and renewal to the people here and subsequently around the nation and world through our online platforms and reach. We are here to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the help to connect with him in a real and meaningful way. We want to see people having an encounter with the living God. Our goal is to create a community of believers who will support and encourage one another and who will work together to make a positive impact on this city and beyond. We will allow the five-fold ministry to take place here. And we will stay and pray for each and every person that comes. Get ready for the altar services because there will be one at every single service. That's our commitment to you. We believe that with God's help, we can change lives and change this nation. Take back the territory for the kingdom of God. Our mission is souls to impact this city and nation and to form an underground railroad for the remnant, which is an amazing ecclesia community. It's koinia fellowship, what we need and what God is doing in this hour. Let's open these doors and begin this new chapter in the life of the remnant with the brand new Remnant Revival Center. Thank you all of you for being such a big part of what God is doing here. Join us May 5th, 2023 here in Gallatin, Tennessee. We hope to see you there. God bless. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's broadcast where we are talking about, you know, just questions that you have. What questions do you have for Pastor Todd? And, and we put it up on a post and some of you asked some amazing questions. And so I'm going to go down to the next question here. This is Audrey, and you said, do you believe that we will lose our sovereignty to the WHO? So this is a mixed bag. Um, obviously, it's extremely egregious to see the globalist policies under the Biden administration, very similar to the Obama administration. Uh, I recall Obama had tried to do something with the, uh, I think it was the UN, with regard to gun rights, uh, basically giving up our, our rights to bear arms. Of course, that never went through, thank God. But it was a, a gun treaty that he was flirting with and I think even tried to initiate, but I don't think it ended up working. 
uh, like he wanted it to. Uh, Donald Trump undid a lot of the stuff that Barack Obama had uh, had done. And the Obama administration was one of the most treacherous administrations, at least in my lifetime. Um, the Just the way that they marched forth. I mean, you think of the Paris Climate Accord, uh, the Iran deal. You think about, uh, you know, just a lot of the trade policies that he was initiating his administration. So very, very egregious time period. And then Trump repealed most of those things. And uh, really, uh, Trump just followed the Constitution and uh, did what any president should do, which is looking out for America first. Uh, Obviously, that's not the case with Biden. And so when it comes to the situation with the World Health Organization, basically the argument is that they could declare a pandemic. And for the most part, uh, then we would be... um, you know, bound to their declaration. And of course, that's the fear. The good news is we have three branches of government. And if the Republicans were doing what they should do, and, um, you know, the Congress opposed this, I think there's a system of checks and balances that would stop um, that from happening. But in today's world, we look at all the mandates that they were, you know, pushing during COVID. And you think about a lot of the tyrannical local governments, state governments. I mean, I think of like Gretchen Whitmer and, you know, um, up in, you know, Cuomo was just insane in New York. And, of course, Newsom in California and many others. Uh, So if this is in place with the with the who that they basically can declare this, you know, pandemic state state of emergency. And then we would then be beholden to it. I mean, in, in the rule of law, if everything was working correctly, you know, the Supreme Court should, you know, should be able to shoot it down. The Congress should be able to stop it. But we just don't know in today's world because who follows the Constitution anymore? Um, so in that aspect, it is it is concerning because there is a real plausible concern that should there be another quote unquote pandemic or actual pandemic, um, you know, the who says, hey, there's a pandemic. Your churches need to be closed. Everybody needs to be shut down. Um, you know, our government would most likely agree and 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 go along with whatever it is that they're saying and this is where it would really take some some bold people in the congress and and for the supreme court and others that are you know upholding our constitution to say no wait a minute we're not beholden to the who and i think you know because of states rights you can see where it would be maybe again a state by state issue where you know the state of florida just says look we're not a, we're not adhering to the who you know that's that's not the united states government that's not the federal government that's uh you know, another body of government outside of our country, and and they don't have the authority to do that. So I think that the states could still stop just like they did during COVID where, you know, certain state governors could come out and say, we're just not going to adhere to that. But I do think it's a concerning thing because whenever we enter into any type of international treaty or some type of, uh, you know, deal or something that we sign on to basically in the United Nations or the World Health Organization, there's definitely an opportunity there for an overreach and for a global entity to push their will upon us as a sovereign nation. But again, if there's patriots, governors, uh, Congress people, there is a way to stop that. We still do have our, you know, our constitution, which is the actual law in our nation. Again, it's, it's sad how many people are overstepping the constitution, how judges and uh, different lawmakers are usurping it, going around it. Uh, but it still is the law of the land. So technically, I don't think right at this particular moment we have to worry so much about this, but I do think it's egregious and, um, you know, our representatives need to push back and our our president, anybody in this country should not be signing on to these international deals. So hopefully that answers your question, 
Uh, I tried to to do it in a way that you know makes sense, but um, I, I would say there's it's a mixed bag. I mean, should we be concerned about it? Yes. Are we actually losing our sovereignty at this point? I would say no. Um, we still have states' rights. We still have the Congress, thank God, and and you know, uh, hopefully the Supreme Court, and uh, they wouldn't be able to at this point push that on us. Okay, next question uh, from Megan. You said would love to hear about what you do in between. And transition periods of life, specifically in waiting when you're needing an answer. Well, here's the thing. So if you're waiting, uh, the Lord rewards patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If you think about it, you know, um, I would say um, waiting is a good season because you're just waiting on the Lord. You know, and if you're in a transitional period, you praise him in the middle of it. And you just, you know, uh, know that he's He's not done and there's going to be a new season coming but in that middle season, you praise him, you wake up every day, don't let discouragement grow root in your heart. You know, if it's loneliness or whatever the uh, the feeling that's trying to overwhelm you uh, in the transition, anxiousness, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing but in all things in prayer and supplication, giving what? Glory to God. So he wants us to glorify him in the middle, in the transitional time, and to trust him. We've got to trust him. Lord, I trust you. I know you're guiding my path. I know you're ordering my steps. Right now, I'm frustrated because it seems like you haven't answered my prayer yet, but Lord, I know you're going before me, and I know, and so you declare and decree and speak words of life because life and death are in the power of the tongue, and and you just, you know, if the Lord hasn't moved yet, it's, it's, it's a protection. It's not time. It's his time, not our time, but it can be hard for us to wait. I remember when I was single, and, you know, everybody was married around me and my younger cousins were married and, you know, they were already having kids. And I was like, Lord, did you forget about me? And uh, but, you know, what? that season, I drew closer to the Lord. I, he was peeling away layers, uh, areas that I needed additional healing. And, you know, he was speaking a lot. And what I learned in that at first, I was anxious and I was very, very lonely and just different feelings that I felt in that time period. It was a, it was a while you know, I, I could listen, I could have dated people. Uh, but the thing was, there just, you know, there wasn't anybody that that fit the uh, qualifications uh, of a pastor's wife that was sold out for the Lord and on fire for the Lord. And, you know, there was just a, I would meet people and there'd always be an area that was lacking, like they'd be a Christian, but they're not on fire or they'd be, uh, you know, just something wasn't there. And I don't believe God wants us to settle. I believe he has a perfect will. He also has a permissible will, by the way, and sometimes we go before God and, and we try to make things happen. And that's when the Ishmaels are born. You know, that's uh, if you think of Abraham, I mean, that's when the Ishmaels are born. And it, it causes a whole nother chain reaction of events because we couldn't wait. So I really believe God grows our character in the waiting. And by the way, it's not just marriage that people are waiting on. There's so many different things, financial breakthrough, uh, you're praying for your spouse and you haven't seen the the prayer answered yet, you know, praying for your son or daughter, they're, they're, you know, they need to be a prodigal, but they're out in the world partying and you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're interceding and you're just waiting and, or, or you're just in a transition. You're in a transition with your job or, you know, you're just in a, a, a kind of a season where you feel like, you know, nothing's really happening and you're just wondering where, when are my prayers going to be answered? I think in these times, if we can train ourselves and discipline ourselves, first of all, not to grow weary, not to get mad at God, um, you know, not to let whatever discouragement or loneliness or what the enemy is trying to put on our head, um, you know, in our head, uh, instead, just just saying, you know what, Lord, I trust you. Because I really believe there's something big about us trusting God. You know, the, the scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings and all your ways, acknowledge him 
and he will direct your path. And I have to say, he always has. But have there been multiple seasons of transition and waiting for me? Yes, and it's hard. Uh, I even think like, you know, when you're waiting to be married, but you're you're already uh, engaged or something, and you're like, oh, I just, I would love to be able to have sex with this person. Let's just be real, right? And in Christianity, that's a sin. You got to wait till you're married. And so uh, a lot of times people stumble in this area, and then they have to repent, and, you know, it could bring in additional baggage in the marriage because you didn't follow the Lord. Uh, I've known people that that went too far in their dating season, and then, you know, it ended up causing issues in the marriage later that needed to be resolved because there was a, a lack of trust. Like, can you really lead me when we failed before we were married? Or, you know, we allowed lust to come into our marriage and we, we broke the trust of God where he wanted us to wait until we were married and we broke that. So now we have to get healing from that or, you know, to seek forgiveness from the Lord, which he will forgive. But remember, sin has consequences. So there's, there's always some type of, you know, the, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. That's not necessarily talking about you actually die, but what it means is you're opening yourself up to areas of, of where the enemy could come in and, and cause all different types of problems. So that's why we, we want to close the door to sin. And, you know, obviously if you did that or whatever, just repent um, and ask the Lord for forgiveness and he will forgive you. And if you have a truly repentant heart, I believe that the Lord knows that because he can read your mind and your heart and, you know, the devil can't, but God can. And so he knows what you're thinking. He knows if you're sincere. Don't beat yourself up if you've sinned or done things that are wrong in, in a season of waiting. I mean, we're human. Uh, you know, you think about many different people in the Bible that failed but then repented. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to have a truly repentant heart. But uh, to answer your question, though, yeah, the, the, the transition periods of life, the main things that we can do is praise him in the middle of it and trust that he's going to guide our path. He is. He's going to order our steps and just know that he has the best for you and something good is coming. So stay tuned for that, right? All right, hopefully that answers that question. Uh, Christy asked, there are so many times in the Old Testament, especially when prophets and David ask God to judge their enemies, even asking God to kill or destroy them. In the New Testament, we are commanded to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, offer to walk another mile with them, give them our coat, etc., is there a difference in the new covenant and old covenant? Sometimes I want my enemies to get what's coming to them, but then I'm convinced and I pray the Lord will draw them to him because they desperately need Jesus. I know God wants them with him just like he wants me with him. He did, after all, die for us. Well, that's a great question, Christian, and a lot of people get confused with the old and new covenant. Thank God we're new covenant Christians. We don't have to uh, sacrifice uh, you know, lambs and uh, do all kinds of burnt offerings and things like you did in the Old Testament. So Jesus was the eternal sacrificial lamb. And the word says that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so there are certain aspects that he's fulfilled. Now, what I would say in this area is, you know, Jesus did a teaching on this himself, the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, you know, it's pretty specific that God wants us to indeed love our enemies. Basically, what this is saying is vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. So he's going to do, he's going to be the one that if somebody's done you wrong, you know, if we try to get them back, it's only going to backfire in a lot of cases. You know, when, when I got stabbed, I mean, I had, you know, I'm Italian. I had Italian family calling me and saying, hey, we'll come out to California. You don't even need to say anything. We'll take care of this guy, you know. And in my flesh, I wanted that because I was like, yeah, this guy needs to get what he deserves. But what I found is that the Lord will bless us if we honor his word and we let him take care of our enemies. You know, we don't want to manipulate or scheme or plot because then that gives the enemy a way to accuse us. 
and the enemy will accuse us. And I know people that have been done dirty. They did something back and, you know, it was illegal and they ended up going to jail because they did something back and the person that did it to them didn't go to jail. So, you know, the enemy will use whatever open door we give him. So I would just say stick to what the word of God says with regard to uh, not wanting to kill or destroy them. Let the Lord be the one that takes care of those things. Uh, you pray for your enemies and you, know, you find a place of love. Doesn't mean you need to hang out with them or be friends with them or even, you know, you do have to forgive them, but you don't have to be friends with them, you know. Um, but remember, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And, you know, when David and some of the others were saying to judge their enemies, I mean, I don't think that necessarily it's a bad thing to say, Lord, you know, will you take care of my enemies? You know, will you, will you, you know, this person did this to me and I'm not going to do anything, Lord, but I'm asking that you, you would uh, bring justice. He's a just God, you know, and he knows what they did. He sees and knows all. So the wages of sin or death, as I said a few moments ago, but you know, everything has a, a repercussion. If you think, you know, you reap what you sow, that's a, a biblical concept. But then what's the golden root rule is doing to others as you would have them do unto you. So we don't want to go to their level and lower ourselves and then get in the, you know, the dirt with them. And then the enemy is going to accuse us as believers. And that opens the door for us to get, you know, some type of charge. I mean, you know, we could get in trouble or, uh, you know, get, go to jail or prison, who knows, you know, so God is going to be the best one to handle it. Um, I, I definitely would not ask God to kill or destroy them. Uh, you know, here's the thing about David. Uh, David was a man after God's heart, but David was a very passionate man. If you think about it, he was, he was emotional. He was passionate. And, um, you know, I'm not saying I haven't asked the Lord at some point, like, will you take care of them? Take them out. They're trying to get me. But, you know, that's, I don't think that's the type of prayer that we should pray. And I don't necessarily think David was doing the right thing there either. Um, I think the Bible lists what they did because it's just showing us their humanity and, and, and the full picture of who they were. David, you know, um, was a man of prayer. And I think the good thing was that he went to the Lord and actually said these things. I think God is merciful and, and has a lot of grace. And so if I go to the Lord and say, Lord, kill or destroy my enemy, you know, the Lord's probably going to say, well, that's not what it says in the word, Todd. And he's going to convict me. And he's going to say, love even your enemies. He's going to reward us for loving our enemy. But does that mean that there aren't times when I've wanted my enemies killed? No. I mean, it, yeah, I, I have one of my enemies killed. Probably you have too. So I don't necessarily think that, you know, I think that the Bible's just showing us there that the, it's, it's not really an old covenant, new covenant thing. I think it's more just God showing us their humanity, you know, um, just showing. I mean, if you think about, there was this uh, story with David and Shimei, and I think it's in like Second uh, uh, Samuel 16 and 19, somewhere around there. Uh, you know, David, this famous warrior, this military leader, you know, almost like an absolute monarch, basically. And, you know, if he wanted somebody dead, he could kill them or he could arrange to have them killed. You know, think about the story of Uriah. And, you know, we're told that God thought this was a bad thing, right? Which it was. Uh, but most of the time, David doesn't, you know, like as with Shimei. Uh, on, on, you know, the worst day of David's life, Shimei cursed him and throws stuff at him. And David could have easily had him killed, and yet he refuses to. You know, what, what David begins when, you know, in his reign uh, you know, which we see developed throughout the scripture is an unwillingness to take personal vengeance on people, even though we could. So if you're really angry with someone would just cause the first step uh, to forgiving them and having a healthier attitude is to give up your right of vengeance. That's what we need to do. And I believe David was doing that. Um, so, you know, that's what David is doing when he curses people. He's saying, I'm angry enough with this person, I, you know, to have them killed. But here's the thing. I'm not going to do it. 
God, I'll leave this to you. You know, you do what you want, but please kill them or make sure that they'll always have a really annoying itch that they can't quite scratch or something like that, you know, but that's a massive step away from cycles of vengeance and recrimination. You know, if they did it today, it would stop uh, vendettas overnight. So it's also a great thing and a first step if you just, you know, if you're really angry with somebody, give it to God. Let him give them what they deserve. It's not our job uh, to do that. And, and we can get on with uh, doing what's right. So hopefully that kind of answers that question. But, you know, David was an emotional man. He was, he was a passionate man, but ultimately he was a man after God's heart. And so I would say it's the same thing that applies both in Old and New Testament. Hopefully that makes sense. All right, uh, Paula, you say, is it true that there's a bill to be passed to allow the injecting our meat and food supply with mRNA? To my understanding, yes. Uh, I do think that there's some conspiracy stuff out there and people that are taking it to the nth degree, but I believe there is something along these lines and we need to push back with our representatives. We need to call them. We need to tell them we don't want this. But, uh, you know, meat, you know, cattle, pigs, you know, anything that we're eating, uh, chickens, you know, they do inject them, to my understanding, already with all different types of things. You know, um, this has been going on for a while. So to somebody in that industry, you know that they're already, they, they give them steroids and different types of things. So it, is this a very plausible situation? I think so. I think it would be something that I would not put past the globalists, the World Health Organization, the Gates of the world, you know, Bill Gates kind of people. But I think it's the unknown that people are concerned about. And, and it falls into two areas, you know, is the vaccine a vaccine or, you know, RMNA persistent in meat? Will humans be ingesting the arm, uh, mRNA genetic code material via consumption of the vaccinated beef, pork or lamb? And is the vaccine safe in the long term for livestock or will this cause subsequent health complications that may then compromise our animal protein food supply? I think those are valid questions and they certainly get my attention. Well, you know, first, um, you know, most of the research surrounding this idea of persistence after ingesting the mRNA indicates that it's not persistent. So FDA and USDA will most likely require 30 or more days withdrawal or treated, you know, the treated animals need to withdraw from this from the entrance of the food supply. That's that's the recommendation. Now, will they adhere to that? We don't know. In other words, no animal can be slaughtered for human food until uh, those minimum time frames have been met. That would be the law. Um, most mRNA research indicates that the denaturing of the genetic material occurs within several days of the vaccine. So if so, you know, if this happens, somehow the mRNA material remains intact through the ingestion. Most scientists argue that mRNA is fairly fragile and would not survive the environment of the stomach. So the potential problems with this train of thought you know, what if the researchers are wrong? You know, what if the genetic material is persistent and can survive ingestion and di digestion? And research has definitely been wrong in the past. So, you know, although an interesting side note is that the Chinese are currently testing an ingestible mRNA vaccine and human test subjects take it orally. Now, if mRNA vaccine and genetic material can survive this digestive process, why not via ingested and digested animals muscle tissue? Uh, so, you know, the bottom line is, is the vaccine persistent? How long? You know, and we don't have all the facts on that. But here's a fact. Um, you know, I have interest in, in being safe. I have interest in not giving this mRNA to my child, you know, and giving her food that has it or myself or my family. Uh, I do not eat them. I will not eat them. 
And, you know, the, the other unknown is uh, with the application of the CDC recommendations surrounding the COVID-19 vaccine, you know, these pharmaceutical companies and government experts are now saying uh, that animal mRNA vaccine is completely safe for livestock. So the potential problems with this, again, we don't really know, especially since there's a complete absence of long-term studies on mRNA vaccines in general. Furthermore, we have no record of the widespread use of needle injection of isolated genetic material into livestock. And, you know, there are no short or long-term studies to specific, you know, to tell us about this. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things we should be worried about here. Um, this, you know, this, I've read some, uh, some studies from some of the cattle producers and they're even concerned about this, but you know, our government is pushing these things a lot of times without long-term study and not really knowing. So in a nutshell, I hope I answered this. Okay. You know, obviously I'm not a cattle uh, person, you know, but I do think they are introducing these into our, you know, uh, food supply. And I think this is kind of the future, if you will, of vaccines, which I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, the typical old school vaccines, there was the toxoids, there was the, uh, what is it? The, uh, MLV, I think they called it, which was like the live, uh, what they call it? Uh, yeah. The MLV and, you know, the killed virus vaccines. And then you had the modified virus vaccines, which were the MLVs. And those are what we knew our whole life. So, um, you know, this whole mRNA technology now is going to really change the entirety of the vaccine world. And I think that uh, it should be way further tested before they're actually putting this into our food supply. But they, they very well could do it, just like they put, uh, what they put, uh, you know, the fluoride in the water. And we know that fluoride is extremely toxic and extremely dangerous. Uh, and yet they put that in the water and they say that it's okay. And then, you know, cancer rates have gone up. And so there's a lot of there, there friends. And it's something we should be concerned about. Contact your representatives. Let them, let them know. We don't want this. We don't want it in our food. We don't want it in our cattle. We don't want it in our, in our pigs. We don't want it in our chickens. We don't want it in the food supply. We don't want MRNA and hopefully they'll listen. But I, I would tend to believe that this is coming regardless, but we can definitely fight it as much as we can. And, um, gosh, I mean, we don't even know the ramifications of this, but it's very, very egregious. And yes, it is happening. Okay. Uh, hopefully I answered that somewhat. I know that's, that was kind of a hard one. Um, let's see here. Uh, Audrey said, should, uh, um, Jack, uh, ticks area be considered a hero or a traitor? I think this was the gentleman that did the, uh, leak. Um, you know, I, I, I'm questioning this whole leak that if it wasn't intentional, uh, it just almost seems like they wanted us to know this information for some reason. I, I just am skeptical of these types of things. So if if the man really just, you know, did leak it and, uh, you know, he wanted people to know this and, you know, is he a hero? I don't know. I mean, it's like similar to Snowden. It's similar to uh, Julian Assange. I personally liked Julian Assange. I, I think Snowden, uh, I have mixed, mixed feelings about him. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, these people, uh, you know, if they risk a lot, if this is a true situation, like an Assange and like a, Snowden and he leaked this so that the American public knows what's actually going on then uh, in some aspects he is a hero um, but you know uh, putting out classified information um, you know about our country uh, you know where it could put us in harm's way well, that's not a hero right so it, again it's a mixed bag but I mean what they're doing in the Ukraine and what they're doing in these wars I mean this is a, a U.S. led effort Th this thing could be solved overnight like if President Trump came in this thing would be solved overnight as far as the war in Ukraine um, there's a lot of different things going on there from money laundering to, um, you know, all different types of agendas in Ukraine. And, you know, this civil war has been going on for many years. And the fact that we're sending our munitions there and just continue to escalate this whole thing, 
um, you know, to me, it's it's feeding the military industrial complex and it's it's weakening the United States. I had a dream about this. It's literally weakening us as we're sending uh, so much of our munitions and, you know, we're putting these sanctions on Russia. It's actually sending these countries to the bricks. You know, it's 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 fast forwarding uh, what might have been a much slower process of de-dollarization in the world. And what they're now doing through this war is, you know, first of all, China has been emboldened tremendously in Taiwan. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ramifications to this whole conflict that, you know, if you think about it, we had just exited um, the situation in Afghanistan, America's longest war, just exited it. And then Biden comes in and what happens? I mean, literally, and, and he did such a botched pullout, by the way, of, of Afghanistan. Remember the billions of dollars of equipment that was left there that my three-year-old, or my, you know, she could have done a better job of leading them, Joe Biden. So that was just a total debacle and such an embarrassment to all of our, our troops and our country uh, as everybody was watching how we just left all this equipment there and just the way that we left was so, I mean, there's just a million ways that we could have done better and it was such a debacle and so horrible. Uh, so that was just a lack of leadership and, you know, was it intentional? It might have been. See, because the World Economic Forum, they're basically saying that America's going to be diminished and, uh, it's, you know, the world's going to be more run by, a, you know, basket of currencies. And, you know, they want to diminish the U.S. Uh, hegemony. They want to diminish the U.S. Uh, military stance as a superpower around the world. That's the World Economic Forum's plan. So if you look at what they say in their plan for Agenda 2030 and then you look at what's happening, it's almost like exactly what they're saying is U.S. is diminished. Uh, you know, there's this rise in China now. And it seems like that's what they kind of want, you know, and, and this war in the Ukraine, which is feeding the military industrial complex and laundering the money and so many other things that they're doing there in this, this should be stopped. There should be an outcry by the American people. And for whatever reason, there's not, uh, there's a small group of people that are, that are saying, Hey, we need to end this. Uh, but for the most part, even Republicans are on board with this war and they're saying, well, if we don't win this, then, you know, China's going to watch and then they're going to invade Taiwan. I hate to tell you, China's going to invade Taiwan regardless. Uh, if you think China is worried about the United States right now, I mean, they're going around the, the world as the peacemaker now. I mean, they're 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 connecting Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia and they're brokering deals. And, you know, people are exiting the dollar as the global reserve. It's happening fast. And um, so all these things have been sped up by this just insane reprobate leadership in D.C., which is literally just I mean, look what they did with the strategic oil reserve. I mean, just unbelievable. They drained it. Um, Biden just he's done one thing after another to weaken our stance on the global stage and uh, so you know it in that aspect this this person that brought forth this information you know it's it's kind of good for us to know this even though it was classified information and our enemies could use it but I, I don't know if they intentionally did this for some reason again to make America look weak to diminish us on the world stage to embarrass us it's like another you know hit in the gut and uh, I, I just question these types of things because to me, it could just be a false flag. It could be what they wanted us to know so that the media would talk about it. So I'm not necessarily buying it in this particular case. I do, I do think Assange and, you know, even Snowden, I think their, their situation was different, but I'm not necessarily sure I trust this whole situation. It just, it's very suspect to me, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Paula, you said, do you think that the Antichrist is living now, just not revealed? And what national origin do you think he'll be from? Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, I don't really know the national origin, um, but I do think there's a real possibility the Antichrist could be living now just because of the lateness of the hour. Uh, you know, people will say, well, they thought Hitler was the Antichrist, and they thought this one, when that one, you know, Napoleon. or You know, so I guess it's also about the time period you live in and 
there's different evil people that have a form of an antichrist or, you know, the antichrist spirit, but they're not the antichrist. But because of the prophetic timeline and how things are moving so quickly, uh, I think there's a very real possibility, Paul, that the antichrist could be here, but just not revealed yet. So, uh, you know, I would probably tend to say that's real possible, real possible. Uh, I don't know the national origin though, but, uh, I think it's a real possibility. Um, you know, what does the Bible say about uh, a national origin? Is there any mention of it? Well, to my knowledge, no. Uh, I don't think that there is any mention of the origin of the Antichrist. Uh, the, there's a lot of different interpretations, um, you know, um, but I don't think that there's anything that specifically says who the Antichrist is, like where he's going to come from, you know. I will tell you this. If, if you were to look it up online, um, there's a lot of people that believe that the Antichrist could be of Jewish origin. Um, you know, that that's like a, like a, the scholars have argued this. And, um, you know, that view is still somewhat popular in our own day. However, upon closer examination, we find no real scriptural basis. So this is coming from Thomas Ice, who uh, wrote a paper on this from Liberty University, which I happen to have. And uh, he's, he's saying the same thing that I'm saying. So we, I don't think we really necessarily know. There has been talk that it could be Jewish, but... Um, it could be Asian. I don't know. We just don't know. So, uh, good question though. Very good question. Hopefully I answered, I really have too much of an answer there, but I do think there's a good possibility. Like if I were to give a percentage of like how much, I think there's like a 60%, 70% chance that the antichrist is here now. That's my personal opinion. Uh, Tina, you said, I know people are wanting to know where the safest place investment to put their money right now. Well, I will tell you, I'm not a financial advisor. Um, but I, I say, look, gold and silver is real money and real money is important. Um, you know, it's never lost its value. It always has value. And, um, to, to, you know, my, my advice would be to diversify. If you have, again, I'm not a financial advisor, but I would say diversify. Don't have all your money in us dollars. In other words, um, don't have all your money in the bank. Uh, I would recommend that you have some money, some cash on hand if you needed it, just in case there was some type of emergency. Have food and supplies. You know, I we have a My Patriot Supply. You can go to remnantfood.com, remnantfood.com, and you can get storable food. Um, it's a great thing to have. Like, like Dan Bongino says, if you never have to use it, praise God. But if you do, then at least you have something that, you know, you have a plan. And uh, that's the same with uh, the fact with the with the currency. It's like we don't know how they're going to roll out this, you know, CDBC and the Fed now app and some of the things that I've been talking about recently, we don't know how long the U S is going to remain the global reserve. But what we do know is there certainly is talk, uh, where people are saying, Hey, it may not be the global reserve much longer. And so in that case, I'd say, listen, we're Christians. We're watchmen on the wall. Um, you know, I believe that some people are actually going to be wealthy in this transfer that when it goes to the new currency, you you know certain people will have a lot of gold and silver, or you know maybe they diversify, maybe you have some land, or you know land that's paid off, or your home's paid off, or different things that you you have real estate, you know tangible goods, you know you own your car outright, and those things have value, you know anything that has value. Like I was talking to uh, somebody who's a former NSA guy, and he was telling me, you know what they do is they just they have tradable things. He says anything that's tradable you know, that has value. I mean, he even buys cigarettes. I don't recommend this, but he buys cigarettes because he says people are going to want to buy cigarettes. Um, you know, he says he has things that are tradable. Think of like trade and barter. Anything that has value. Um, you know, you don't want to have a lot of debt, 
you know, you want to live within your means. Uh, you know, if you say, well, I don't really have any money in the bank, you know, if you can go buy, I mean, one silver coin is like what, 24 bucks or something like that. You know, just buy them as you can, you know, um, I wouldn't make like, you know, I was talking about this recently and the Lord really spoke this to me, but ultimately the best preparation is in our mind. You know, I mean, we can be preppers and, you know, being a prepper is good and, you know, but some people make that an idol and they, that's all they think about. I mean, it could be 20 years until we see anything crazy or it could be next week. I don't know. Uh, but you know, I think preparing is wisdom, but don't let it consume you and don't let it be like, you know, where you, where you stop doing other things that you're meant to do because you're so consumed by the fact that something is about to happen because, you know, look at the Q movement, look at some of the prophetic people out there that have made all these really intense warnings and then they didn't happen. And a lot of people sold their, you know, their, their assets. I know people that were like, you know, in a bunker prepared for something to happen because somebody told them something was going to happen and then it didn't happen. So, you know, we want to live our life. We want to, we want to be out there. You know, some of the people that I know that you would think would be the most prepped are actually not because they just say, you know what, I, my main thing is have my mind right. And, and, you know, that's my, what I heard the Lord say is make sure your mind is prepared that no matter what happens, you're going to serve the Lord. No matter what happens in the world, you're going to still stay in your faith. You're going to believe God is going to protect you, takes care of the birds there and the fish of the sea. How much more will you take care of us, right? So ultimately it's that mind preparation. You're not going to give up your faith. You're not going to lose faith no matter how, how crazy it gets. But we also have to remember God took care of the, the children of Israel. He gave them manna when they were in the desert place. He is going to take care of us. The main thing that we do is we have a strong faith and we're doing what's right before the Lord and his favor and his blessing will be on us. But being prepared is good. Um, but, you know, we just, we don't really know when these things are going to happen. But I think, you know, a little, little gold, a little silver is good. You know, don't make it like to where you're selling everything just to buy gold and silver. Don't stop tithing. Some people will stop tithing. No, then you're going to have a curse on your finances. Don't do that. Tithing is actually one of the best investments you can do because you have God's insurance policy. That's what tithing is. You're giving back to him what's his, and he's going to reward you financially. When, when somebody's a good tither, they're almost always somebody that prospers because the Lord has given you favor. He says, test me in this, right? Uh, when somebody doesn't tithe, you usually have a poverty spirit or you know the, the enemy has an inroad in their life and their finances. So uh, great question, great question. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. Uh, Kimberly said, I still haven't moved on from the stolen 2020 election. She says that I'm disturbed with the circus and, and nursing home administrator sitting in the uh, the Oval Office. I guess you're talking about Biden. Uh, where's our military? I thought the military swore an oath to the Constitution. Uh, we've had a plethora of grievances dismantling our Constitution. The last almost 2.5 years ago has been absurd and heartbreaking. Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I know there was the Q movement. I, and by the way, I'm not here to mock the Q movement or anybody that believed in Q. I know many of us did. Uh, you know, for as a pastor, for me, I always kept my eye on the Bible. And I thought it'd probably be a bad thing if, you know, your pastor is following Q, you know. But uh, did I read some of the Q stuff? Of course. I mean, you know, people were sending me stuff all the time. Uh, do I know a lot of people that were really into it? I do. Some of my good friends, some people still are. Again, you're not a bad person. From my experience, Q people were patriots, you know, and, uh, you know, they want the, you know, they were hoping that there was some plan. Why wouldn't the military, you know, stop what's going on, right? I mean, that was, it was logical. Like, you know, yes, this could actually happen. Then I started reading about Operation Trust, which was something that was very similar that happened in the past. And I started realizing, you know what, uh, there's more to this story. This could be a psychological warfare operation on the patriots so that we don't do anything to keep us subdued. And, 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 you know, distracted while meanwhile the communist revolution continues. So, 
uh, you know, the reason why that brought that question up is because there's a lot in that question that kind of reminds me like the military being in control. I don't know if you believe that or not, but, you know, to my knowledge, and I've spoke with generals and, uh, you know, all different types of people that were in the Trump administration, all the way up to Trump's family even, and every single one of them said that's not true, that's not what's going on, but they wish it was. And again, I would repent to everybody if that is the case, and that's what's going on, but to my knowledge and understanding and everything that I've studied and researched, it's not going on. And so why hasn't it gone on? Well, because there's a chain of command in the military, and so every person reports to the next you know, person up, and it's that chain of command that goes all the way up to the commander-in-chief, which is Joe Biden, believe it or not. So you know, they would literally be committing treason if they were to go around that. Now, you know, is there some, you know, NSA or somewhere that they could have seen, you know, the election being stolen? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've heard many credible reports where people said, you know, they did see things like that, that there was, you know, definitely uh, things going on at different precincts and, you know, all different types of, uh, val- you know, fraud and, and voter fraud and things like that. The problem is, you know, the courts have pretty much pushed, you know, shot down any opportunity that anybody tried to bring to the courts. Um, they say that so far they haven't seen uh, anything that's tangible, which I find hard to believe because we know so many people that have brought forth tremendous information. Uh, think of Dinesh D'Souza and his movie. Uh, just that alone, you know, just the ballot stuffing and ballot harvesting and all the mail-in ballots that they had during the COVID era, that alone you know, and I think he did a great job of showing that with these mules, you know, the 2000 mules and whatever it was called. But, you know, the problem is that we're we're in a very late hour. And a lot of what's happening is due to the the sin of our country. I mean, think about all the abortions that we've allowed and, and we push this on other countries. And, you know, God would have to apologize to ancient Israel if he didn't bring judgment on America. So there, we could be in the in the beginning stages of judgment. You know, so as a church, as a people of God, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I'll hear their prayers from heaven. And so I really believe that it's up to the church, the spotlight's on the church. It couldn't have been a, you know, Republican or a president or, you know, it has to be the church. We have to pull down the strongholds. We have to lead and be the head, not the tail. And we have to do our part in the Great Commission, you know, and make disciples of all the nations. If we do that, then I believe our land will be healed. Now, of course, we have to do more. We got to get involved at the community level. We got to get involved, you know, calling our representatives. People have to run. Some of you patriots that are listening to this, you know, we got to run for office. We got to be poll watchers. We got to do everything that we can. We can't just sit back and, and eat the popcorn and think somebody else is going to fight our battle. We've got to be involved. And, you know, we got to do it in a way that we're exuding Christ. We're not doing something illegal or violent, but we're doing it in a way that we're following our constitutional rights. And I think that, you know, there are people doing this, which is good, Um, you know, so we'll have to see. I mean, there have been certain laws passed by, you know, state representatives and, you know, the legislator in the states that have tightened the laws of voting. There has been some progress in that area, Um, you know, but if the military were to literally take over like some are suggesting, uh, that would be considered a coup, even though, there could have already been a coup happen with the elections. And I know that's what a lot of you are thinking. And I agree. Uh, But, you know, because of just how unprecedented that is, um, you know, the military is a chain of command uh, structure. And so if anybody within that chain of command were to say, hey, we need to take over the administration, they'd be considered treasonous. And uh, so it would take a collaborative effort. And I don't believe that effort is underway right now. I do not believe the military is in control. I don't believe there's any effort whatsoever in that area 
Uh, I think we got to win the next election and pray that God has mercy on our country. But do I agree with you that it's heartbreaking and absurd and insane? Absolutely. That's why I'm out here every day fighting. But, you know, if they wanted us to be completely subdued, what would be such a brilliant strategy would be to make us think that there's some plan going on and that we don't have to do anything. When in reality, the army of patriots around the country, if we got involved and active and and actually stand up and do what we're supposed to do, if I wasn't just like a voice in the wilderness, but there was so many pastors that are doing a similar thing, they wouldn't be able to stop uh, us from having a return to rule of law and, and to, to fix this nation. So we've got to pray. We've got to pray for President Trump. We've got to pray for the next election. We've got to pray that the church wakes up and that God gives our nation another chance. But I understand what you're saying, Kimberly, and I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I still talk about 2020 often, and you know, I'm very disturbed about what's going on in the Oval Office. I'm very disturbed that the military didn't do anything. But when I went to, you know, like a five-star general that I was in a green room with and I had this discussion and also one of Trump's cabinet members were sitting on the couch with us, uh, this was the explanation they gave me, that there's a chain of command structure and that although many of the generals are grieved, uh, if any of them were to step out and say, hey, we need to, you know, uh, overthrow the Biden administration, that person would probably be thrown in jail and it wouldn't be as the Q uh, people are suggesting that there's this plan and, and there's white hats. There are white hats, but... It's just not from every single bit of information I've got. That's not what's happening. So we've got to get involved. We've got to pray. We've got to repent as a people of God. The church has to wake up. We've got to get involved at every level. And we really got to do what the Bible says. And, and you know, it's a second uh, Chronicles 714 moment. It really is. All right. I'm sorry. I know I wish I could give you a, more hope on that. But, you know, I'm just speaking the truth, you know, from everything that I know. And again, I told people this from the beginning. Uh, I would be the very first person to repent to you and be extremely happy and be jumping up and down if, uh, you know, there was military plan and, and all that stuff was was true, like you said. I, I would, I'd repent to everybody. I'd get right on the live stream and say, I repent. I was wrong. But I just, I don't think that's what's happening. So thank you for the question. Okay, Jackie, you said, I'd love to hear more about your time in, in your prayer room. I know prayer time is not a formula, but would love to hear more from you about how the Holy Spirit leads you in your prayer time in the secret place. Well, thank you, Jackie. That's a great, great question. Um, you know, I think it is a personal thing, but the, the key is that we have a prayer time. The key is that we have a prayer. My prayer time, a lot of the times, is when my daughter, my wife is a is a morning person. I'm a night person. So she gets up at like six. I get up, you know, sometimes at eight, you know, and then she goes to bed like two hours, you know, earlier than me. So we're kind of on a little bit of a different time schedule, which it works out because then I can pray. And so I spent a lot of times those two hours in prayer in my room on my knees. Uh, what I what I would say is I, I it's I allow the Lord to speak to me, Jackie. I I inquire of the Spirit to say, Spirit of God, tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, convict me of any areas of sin. Um, you know, open my eyes to areas that I'm off or wrong or you know. And, and then I repent of those things when the Spirit shows me. I think this is so critical that Christians need to understand this. We need to. We need to be a teachable people, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, do I get everything right? No, I don't, but I have a heart to, I have a heart to do what's right. And as soon as I get any new information or if I'm convicted, I make sure to right away repent or to course correct. And that I think is the most important thing. That's key. We've got to, we've got to know how to course correct. We've got to know how to, you know, be teachable as believers. We've got to, we've got to make a difference. We, we, we can't, you know, just think we know it all. 
You know, we, we, in order to make a difference, we, we got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We got to be anointed. In order to be anointed, we've got to hear from the Lord. And, and so we have to have a prayer life. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. So I think the first hurdle is that we actually hear from the Lord. And then we give him that time to speak. And people say, well, I, I'm in prayer and I'm not hearing anything. You know what? Turn on some worship. Uh, you know, get in your word in your prayer time. Sometimes my prayer time is me getting in the word and I'm praying the Lord as I'm reading it, but he's, he's revealing like, Todd, go to John chapter two. You know, I go to John chapter two. I start reading there. And then through the scripture, I, I get a word or, you know, so it's different. I, there's really no formula per se, but I think the key is that we give him this time. And, you know, for me, it's because I have to make a lot of decisions that impact a lot of people. And, you know, I'm in the public eye and I'm representing Christ. You know, I want to make sure that I'm aware of areas that the enemy may be trying to trap me. And in my prayer time, a lot of the time, it's the Lord showing me and revealing divine strategy and giving me wisdom on how to navigate what I call minefield in today's, you know, culture and, and, and in the Christian community even. So, and, and again, do I always get it right? No, but the Lord convicts me. We've got to allow the Lord to convict us. And in order to do that, we got to give him time to speak. And that is what's so important. We've got to make that room for him to speak. And, and so that's what I think is important, Jack. And I just appreciate the question, you know, but the, the main thing is carving out the time. And the second thing is making sure that you hear from him and that we're not going to him and just presenting a Santa list, you know, like I need this, I need that. It's, it's okay to, to ask the Lord for things. He says, you have not because you asked not. And, you know, we can even ask very specifically and he wants to give us these things. Like we say, Lord, I need $30,000 right now to, to get something for the church. You know, like we can be very pointed, very specific, and he will provide those things. He wants us to be like that. So ask specifically, believe accordingly that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and then allow him to speak. Let Make sure that you let give him that room. And, he, and if you're not hearing, just, just sit there until something starts happening. You know, they say pray until something happens, right? Um, the Lord will speak, often in a still small voice, but he will speak in some way, shape, or form, and then he will confirm what he said, the mouth of two or more witnesses, if you're unsure if it really was him. But, uh, you know, when we're, when we're beginning to hear from the Lord, um, sometimes we're not sure if it's God. So, you know, wait until it's confirmed. You know, does it confirm in the Scripture? You know, look in the Scripture. Does it confirm in the Scripture? Does it confirm in the mouth of two or more witnesses in your life? That's how his word is established. So great question, Jackie. Thank you. Um, Vicky said, how to handle Christians that condone or look the other way in regards to homosexuality, especially when it creeps into the family? Well, they're not, they're not Christians because a Christian is somebody that follows the word of God. And the word of God is very specific about all sin. This is one of the sins. Um, you know, you can't, the Bible says a man shall not lie with a man. The Bible says that sodomy is a sin. I mean, there's many different areas in the Bible where it's very specific about, you know, marriage between a man and a woman. And, and, you know, look, I mean, once we're able to, you know, say, well, that's not, you know, relevant anymore about any aspect of the Bible, then we're, we're giving up the Bible. We're changing it. The Bible says, do not change any of the words in the Bible. So somebody that's calling themselves a Christian that they're condoning, homosexuality that that's a lukewarm christian that's a laodicean and a laodicean is is what spit out uh the bible says no you know you you were neither hot nor cold you're, you're lukewarm and because of that i'm gonna spit you out um there's a lot of people that are gonna get to heaven and he's gonna say depart from me worker of iniquity i never knew you you know if you have a prayer life and you're submitted to the holy spirit and you love the lord you want to please him he says you know if you love me you'll obey my commands well that means uh homosexuality is a sin just like every other sin pornography is a sin uh you know lust is a sin uh, gluttony is a sin uh you know fornication is a sin adultery is a sin i can go on and on 
Um, so every sin is sin, and we can't. We don't have the power to say, "Oh, that's that's not relevant anymore." That's changing the Bible. And so I would say those Christians are not Christian. And uh, you know, the Bible says, "Come out from among them." You know, um, you know what place does light have with darkness? So I I would really, and I mean, you know, if they're family members, obviously you can love them, uh, but you definitely don't agree with them, and you know, you don't have to fight over it. I mean, if, if there's an area of contention in their family member, you know, you just agree to disagree, but you hold fast, you hold firm to your beliefs because you didn't make it up. The Bible is from God. It's not from us. You know, we're just the messenger. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to, you know, not be friends with them or not, you know, be connected with them as family, but don't agree with them and you can share where you stand and you can agree to disagree and, and just move on from it, you know. Uh, but they're, they're going to be responsible for their sin and the open doors that they opened in their life. And if they are a Christian and, and they just don't understand yet, you know, the, the Spirit of God, if they're, if they're seeking the Lord's heart, then the Lord's going to convict them and show them. If not, then they're not really a Christian. Um, okay, uh, Sylvia, there's just a couple more questions here. We're almost done. Uh, Sylvia, you said, why are there so many versions of the Bible since I read that you were not supposed to change God's word? Wow, good question. Wow. Um, you know, this is okay. So let's just like, think about like the game of telephone, right? Like, you know, somebody says like something to you in your ear and then you repeat it to the next person. Then they repeat it to the next person. You see if it remained the same or if it gets completely changed or how much it changes throughout the chain. Uh, and that's kind of what, you know, is happening with these versions. I mean, you look at like the amplified and the message and, you know, I think some versions are much closer to the original Greek and Hebrew and that's what you want to go for. Um, a lot of people recommend the King James or the New King James. I happen to read the New King James. Um, I think some of these ones, like the message, have taken liberties and in some ways changed the context, and I think that's extremely dangerous. But here's the other thing, okay? Like, uh, let me just say, like, okay, I'm looking at a drink right now that's red, so I could be like, there's a red drink, or I could be like, I saw a drink and it's red, or I can say, um, you know, there's a drink with a that's in a bottle on my desk right now and it's red, you know, so all of them are essentially saying the same thing, but it's just different ways of saying it. So, you know, if it's if it's a correctly interpreted Bible, uh, that's basically what's happening is it's the same thing that's being said. It's just a different way of delivery and saying it. So in that case, it's not necessarily bad if they change the meaning. And that's where I get a little bit worried about the message. I think some scriptures in the message have been completely contextually changed. And if that's the case, then people are going to you know, believe a lie. They're not going to believe what actually what was intended. So it just depends. So, you know, when it comes to like the living translation or, you know, the King James or the new King James or some of the ones that have been around for a long time, you know, new American standard for the most part, I think that's what they're doing is they're just, they're just delivering the same, you know, sentence in a different way, but it has the same meaning. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. Um, Okay, uh, Kathy said, when we see the end, uh, when will we see the end of the evil government? We may not until we're with the Lord, uh, Kathy, as the hour is late and things could continue to advance. And uh, while I do believe we're going to see the greatest revival in the history of the world, it's already begun. Uh, I believe we're going to see great miracles, signs and wonders. I believe the Lord's with us until the end of the age. And, uh, you know, if you're alive in this hour, which you are and I am, uh, you know, God didn't make a mistake in bringing us to the world at this time. So it's all good that we're here uh, but I don't know that we're going to see an evil government, you know, the, the government end. I mean, as far as like the evil in our world. And what I would probably say is at some point we're going to see more and more of a one world global government being put together. And, uh, you know, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And, you know, we could have a, a stay for a couple of years. Or there's going to be, you know, if, we, if we're if we not 
raptured out of here in the beginning of the, you know, before the tribulation, if we're not pre-trib raptured and we end up being mid-trib or post-trib, then we're going to see a lot of evil and a lot of, um, you know, they say if the days were not cut short, you know, that people would be, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, what's the scripture there that they said, uh, let me read it um, about the days being cut short. So it's like Matthew 24, 22. It says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So that's what they're talking about. I mean, it's going to be so bad that the days are shortened because if not, you know, they wouldn't even survive. So, you know, oh, thanks, Pastor Todd. You give me a lot of hope. Well, here's the hope that, you know, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity. And uh, we're just passing through to live as Christ and to die as gain. And our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we're here to be representatives of the salt and the light to be representatives of the King of Kings. And so what an amazing thing that he's trusted us to be that. And, you know, look, if, if things get better, uh, you know, we see a, a season of peace. I mean, I think about the Reagan era. I was just talking about this on a podcast. You know, with the Reagan era, there was repentance that took place from the government level. And as a result, they called it mourning in America. You know, there was a season where it looked like during the Carter administration, our country was done. And then God gave a whole nother season of prosperity. So could it happen? Sure. Um, you know, if our country were to turn back to the Lord, if the, if the church were to, to, to understand the importance of us to be, you know, non-compromising and to get back and repent and, you know, we started doing what the Bible says and making disciples and, you know, going about the Great Commission, we could see an era of, of extreme blessing here in the United States. But if we don't do that, which right now we're still not on track to do that, but, you know, I think more and more people are waking up, but there's still a large portion of the Christian community that has their head buried. Um, you know, is, are we going to see a repeat of what happened uh, in Nazi Germany when, you know, me and you were like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's trying to sound the alarm, but the majority of the church just didn't respond and therefore they went into a very uh, treacherous time. And so that's a real possibility because God would, again, have to, re, re, uh, you know, uh, he would have to basically apologize to ancient Israel uh, if, if he were not to apply the same type of, of, situation of us going into captivity because we turned our back from God and we made idols. So the key is repentance. The key is repentance. Could it happen? Yes, but it, it may not. And so either way, we're going to praise God, but he's with us, Kathy. He's with us. And the hope is that he is the hope. He's the hope of glory and he's enough. And, and in him, we're going to get favor. You know, even when the children of Israel were under captivity, God gave favor to those that sought him and he, and he, he blessed their life and they had favor. So that's what we can always understand is that when we're in the good grace of the Lord by doing, obeying his commands and, and being about his business and, and doing what we're meant to do as believers, then the favor and the blessing and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon us despite the government. So that's the good news. Um, Raina, uh, two more questions here. Uh, Raina said, uh, why are so many ministries having commercials on Facebook and YouTube commercials during worship is very disturbing. Is it true? The ministries are paid for allowing these commercials. Wouldn't it be better to have uninterrupted worship and teachings of God is God, not the provider. So good question. Um, Facebook sometimes just puts commercials in, uh, they do it on my page. Uh, so, you know, we can't stop or control that. Um, that's just the way it is. There are, people that do make money on Facebook and YouTube that are monetized accounts. Um, and I don't know necessarily if they can control when the commercials come on. Um, uh, but yes, there are people that make some money from those things. Um, you know, it's a mixed bag. I understand what you're saying. Um, I don't like, we don't have them during our, our Sunday service. And if they're coming on and you're seeing them, it's, it's Facebook doing it, not us. But, uh, you know, we have had the option in the past to monetize certain videos, um, you know, it, it helps. Look, here's the thing from a ministry standpoint, 
A lot of people don't tithe. I'm just going to be honest. Most people don't tithe. In fact, the majority of people don't tithe. So for someone like myself, we have to get creative in ways that we bring in revenue to the ministry because there's just a lack of people giving. I mean, there's probably like, I can go up in, you know, our app and it shows me, you know, uh, how many people are giving. And it's like, I think they're like out of a total all time amount. It's, it's like well below a hundred people that all time have ever given. And some of those people was only a one time thing. Um, you know, so it's hard to, we're, we're here fighting the globalists. We're fighting the deep state. We're fighting, you know, everybody that's against God and, and in a vicious battle. And yet people want their ears tickled and they want to give to people that are prophesying really happy things. So guys like me, don't really have that coming in because I'm not saying Trump's going to be president before 24. I'm not saying all this stuff, this good stuff's going to happen. I'm just basically being real with you and telling you what the word of God says and telling you what's happening because I want you to be set up for success. And so I actually get punished for that because I, I commit what I call donor suicide. And uh, there's only a couple of people that give. So, you know, that's, you know, if, if we did run commercials, that would be the reason and, and why I have to put them in my podcast sometimes. Because that's, you know, it's, it is a source of revenue that helps keep us afloat. Uh, but that being said, uh, you know, when it comes to the services, we don't do that. Uh, and I would never advertise on a Sunday service or anything ministry related. Podcast is different. Radio show is different. Uh, to me, we got we to gotta pay for the radio show. We got to pay for podcast. We have to have some commercials uh, because otherwise, how would we, you know, the, the church isn't paying for the radio show. I mean, we have in, in some areas had to actually write checks for things like this as a parachurch organization, you know, but we're separate. The radio show, the podcast is separate from the church. Uh, it has to be that way, you know? And so, um, anyway, I'm a little bit passionate about that because I, I, I just wish some people would see it from our side. Uh, but I do think there are people that are making a ton of money out there. I know some of them, some of them do what I was saying. They're, they're telling you a bunch of lies and they got commercials and stuff. So they're making a fortune millions. Uh, that's not us. That's not us. So I appreciate those that give to this ministry more than, you know, it's the only reason we're able to do, what we do. Okay. One more question. Uh, Kathy, you said, how do you reach a prodigal adult children without sounding like a mom telling them, uh, what to do? They're in their thirties and forties. And my grandkids have been told that God is make believe kids will, uh, they went to a spirit filled church. They went to the Brownsville revival and they all got sucked in the world. Of course, no father involved ever as they were busy cheating. Uh, okay. So that very, very, uh, interesting question. Very good question. I mean, um, you know, the main thing that you can do is intercede and pray for them. And here's the thing. Again, I think I said this in the beginning of the broadcast, but we've got to be a good example in our actions, not just our words. So make sure that you're in your actions that you are also exuding, uh, you know, Christ-like because, yeah, we don't want to push. My mom used to do that to me when I was in the world. She would write me all these words and slip them under my door, and then when I no longer live with her, she'd leave these messages and tell me how awful, you know, I was doing these things. And My mom is a great woman. She's a powerful believer, and she's awesome. Uh, but at that time, I was turned off by the way that she was trying to kind of condemn me, and, and, you know, I didn't want to hear it. But you know what God did? He brought other people in my path. And those other people were the ones that got me saved. And uh, ultimately, I realized that my mom was doing the right thing. But at the time, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as intrusiveness. So the best thing you could do is pray, intercede uh, on their behalf, you know, stand in proxy for them, but also in your actions. They're watching you. And remember, the word of God does not return back void. So if they were at Brownsville and they went to a spirit-filled church and they heard the word, trust me, it's in their heart. 
And at some point, the main thing you can do as an action is pray and your actions, show them the love of Christ. Don't be hypocritical in things that you do. And uh, pray and ask the Lord for divine appointments and for people to be in their life. And I believe that your prayers are going to be answered because there's nothing more powerful than a praying mom. Don't lose hope, Kathy. Don't lose hope. I am a prodigal. I am a prodigal. And so your prayers are very powerful. And uh, I'm just going to believe those words will not return back void. And they're going to be on fire for Christ in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right. I got through every question. Is that not amazing? My voice is a little bit hoarse here because I've talked so much. And so I'm going to go now. But thank you for tuning in. And especially if you if you held on to all of this because I've been speaking for over an hour and a half. So if you did listen to this whole thing, really appreciate you. Thank you for your love and your care and all the things that you do to help us do what we do because we just love you and we want to make sure that you're set up for success. And uh, if there's any questions that you have from my answers, send them to me. I would love to hear them. Uh, PastorTodd.org, PastorTodd.org. And uh, we will be happy to answer your additional questions as well. I think this is a great type of podcast. And so hopefully you liked it. Uh, give me some feedback. Write me at Todd.coconado at rlcus.org. Todd.coconado at rlcus.org. And uh, I would love, love to hear any feedback, anything that I shouldn't do that, you, that I did or something that I said that was just totally obnoxious to you or you're really annoyed by. I want to hear it all. Uh, good, bad, and ugly. So send me uh, your information. Uh, you can text me at, at 818-470-7963, 818-470-7963. So one of those methods you can do, uh, and we will get back to you. And we appreciate you. Thank you so much, for, again, for tuning in. Listen, uh, you heard the commercial about the Remnant Revival Center, and we definitely uh, do need uh, those that will partner with us. Uh, you know, we have a lot of bills, a lot of expenses going in here. So if you're able to, uh, please help us out at toddcoconato.com slash give toddcoconato.com slash give or you can go to pastortodd.org and hit that little donate uh, button on there and we will uh, extremely extremely thankful for your gifts so thank you so much god bless you we'll talk to you soon